This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Beneath the expansive canvas of a starlit sky or within the comforting embrace of a communal longhouse, the chilling whispers of Native American ghost stories echo through time. These tales, handed down from one generation to the next, possess a timeless terror that refuses to fade. And woven into the very fabric of each tale, are elements of cannibalism, restless wandering spirits lost to a deep watery grave, and malevolent ghouls hiding in the shadows that haunt the night. While some stories serve as cautionary, urging the youth to tread carefully along water's edge or from creating conflict within their families, the underlying message for all becomes clear. Darkness pervades our world as it has throughout time, and it may be even closer than one dares to believe. As you embark on your journey to savor the warmth of Thanksgiving with friends and family, we invite you to immerse yourself in these spine-tingling tales of old, where the line between the living and the spectral blurs, and the shadows cast by the flickering flames of the fire may conceal more than you could ever fathom. Howdy folks, and welcome back to another episode of your favorite podcast, That Would Be Rad. We are a podcast that majors in 80s and 90s nostalgia, comic culture, all things paranormal, and minors in retro video games, tabletop RPGs, pre-internet mysteries, and trying to raise our kids to be half as cool as we were back in the 80s. I'm Woody Brown, co-host of this wonderful podcast, and typically with me is our other co-host, Tyler Bentz. Unfortunately, Tyler is not going to be able to join us this week because he's just got a lot going on currently. And ultimately, we wanted to make sure that you had something super rad to listen to while you're traveling during this Thanksgiving holiday. And since we didn't really get, well, maybe that's just my opinion, but to me, I feel like we didn't really get a huge chance to get and dive into 
as much spookiness as we wanted to back in October. And both of us, myself included, being really fascinated with history and stuff, I thought, what better way to get ready for that gigantic turkey feast than to go over some of the spookiest and scariest, horrific folklore creatures and terrifying tales that the Native Americans had to offer. You know, one of the things that we talk about on this show quite often is really our fascination with folklore. And because we're kind of headquartered here in the United States, most specifically in the Southeastern region, you know, we have this well, I mean, there's just undying love for uh, anything and everything Native American. These are stories and tales that existed uh, before our nation was our nation. And the fact that they have lasted this long, being passed on as, a, as an oral tradition amongst the, uh, the people that were here is just incredible. When I found some of these, I got to be honest, so many of them... Well, I mean, they're just terrifying. Some I had heard of, um, and some I had never heard of. Now, of course, if Tyler were here, I'm sure he would have heard of most of them and would be providing a ton of input as to how they relate to other stories that exist. Even sometimes, potentially, some of the cryptids that, uh, that exist. And so that's also one of our favorite things. When we can find a connection between... Uh, a more modern cryptid creature or, you know, phenomenon. And there being a tie to it buried deep within these Native American stories, man, it really makes it, well, it really solidifies, especially for me, like leaning toward really kind of wondering what in the heck is going on here? And also, boy, maybe, maybe this thing is real. People have been seeing it for hundreds of years here in North America but also around the world for even longer. It's just fascinating. So without further ado, let's dive in to these terrifying tales together. The Southwest of the United States is a region of fairly flat-lying sedimentary rock formations, which have been gently but quickly uplifted over the last few million years. It is a colorful region of sandstone and shale pinnacles, arches and canyons cut deep into the remains of great Mesozoic deserts, river basins and seashores. Today, the Navajo Indian Reservation is approximately 130,000 square miles and it covers parts of southeastern Utah, northeastern Arizona, northwestern New Mexico, and southwestern Colorado. In the eerie realm of Navajo beliefs, death unfolded as a perilous affair, shrouded in the ominous legend of the Chindi. Within a dying breath, the Navajo believed resided a malevolent specter, a ghost forged from the very worst facets of the departed's soul. Once unshackled, the Chindi embarked on a vengeful journey, wreaking havoc upon the living. 
fueled by the darkest of human traits, such as hatred, jealousy, and greed, they had the power to unleash something they called ghost sickness. This sinister affliction induced hallucinations and death upon unsuspecting souls who dared to cross their path. However, ancient Navajo lore does outline remedies to evade the wrath of the Chindi. Destruction of the deceased's possessions, or a steadfast refusal to utter their name, stood as shields against the malevolent force. An alternative, more elusive tactic involved orchestrating deaths in the open air allowing the vengeful spirit to dissipate with the wind, often morphing into a haunting dust devil. It was said that a counterclockwise spin of the whirlwind signaled that a departed soul was saturated in nefarious habits. Desperation for protection also birthed the use of what they called ghost beads, which were hollowed berries or turquoise strung together as talismans to repel the wrath of the vengeful Chindi spirits. But control over the circumstances of death eluded the Navajo. Within the confines of a Hogan, their traditional dwelling where tribal members occasionally succumbed to their final breath, the living faced limited options. Really, abandonment became the only grim solution as the Chindi allegedly claimed dominion over any dwelling with which anyone passed away in. But as the shadows deepened, whispers surfaced of those who harnessed the Chindi for sinister plotting of their own. Navajo medicine men, it was said, could conjure a Chindi to assail those who had once wronged them. Darker still, were the myths of Navajo witches who would weave malevolence by crafting beads or powder from a deceased's remains and then slipping them into unsuspecting victims' food, poisoning their essence with the dreaded ghost sickness. The next time you're visiting the southwestern part of the United States, Take care when driving through these ancient lands, or even when passing what we now call dust devils, because there may be more involved than what you had ever previously believed. Now, this one is super interesting to me because, well, first, when I read that they paid so much attention to the direction that a dust devil was spinning and how that would either indicate that this was a spirit that, you know, had a lot of uh, nefarious uh, habits as they, as they say, or if they were a good spirit, it got me thinking too, man, is this where the origin of calling it a dust devil comes from? I don't know. And sure, I should have looked a little bit further into that, but I'll leave that to you, listener, to find out more about that. And in fact, some of you might even know yourself. Anyhow, I just thought that was super, super interesting. And the fact that 
I don't know if you've ever looked up what a uh, Hogan looks like, but essentially it's kind of like a home or a, a structure built into or out of sort of the surrounding dirt. And so the fact that anyone would take the time to build, uh, imagine this, imagine that you built your house right now that you live in with your own hands. And let's assume that, well, there's still a lot of cultures that are very much like this, where as your folks get older, you know, you take them in uh, to your home and stuff. The Native Americans were very much like this. Everyone lived in such close proximity. And so just imagine, you know, you can't, or I should, I should say it's nearly uh, impossible to control or predict exactly when and where the time will come for anyone um, when they pass away. And so these folks would abandon this home that they built with their bare hands for fear that you might end up with ghost sickness or this malevolent spirit that just won't go away. It's just a very interesting concept. But uh, like I said, I'm very fascinated about whether or not that was the origin uh, for the term dust devil. All right, on to the next one. Now, this one is one that, of course, I have heard about before. And of course, and really this should be a drinking game. I'm sure it already is. But we will be doing a full episode on this one at some point in the near future. I promise. From the shadowy depths of Native American folklore emerges one of the scariest creatures, to me, of all time. And that's the Wendigo. A creature that haunts the nightmares of even the bravest souls. Within these terrifying tales, the Wendigo straddles the line between malevolent spirit and grisly monster. Its essence defined by a desperate, unquenchable hunger for the taste of human flesh. Legends woven by various tribes include the Algonquin Ojibwe, Eastern Cree, Salto, West Main, Swampy Cree, Nascapi, and Inu converge on a single chilling narrative. The birth of a Wendigo through the grisly act of cannibalism. Its very name, roughly translated, echoes its sinister nature. It translates to the evil spirit that devours mankind. These entities are depicted as towering, emaciated beings, their gray skin stretched over skeletal frames, their eyes harboring a profound hunger. According to the Algonquin, Wendigo bear deformed bodies with missing fingers and toes, while the Ojibwa paint a more macabre picture of lipless creatures with razor-sharp teeth that leave behind blood-stained footprints. Within the folds of all of these Native American stories, a sinister truth unravels. The Wendigo lurks in the shadows where it employs a ghastly trickery, mimicking human voices 
to lure unsuspecting travelers deeper into the forest, where it then lies in wait, ready to feast. But like some terrible curse, with every terrifying meal, the Wendigo grows an insatiable appetite, demanding more human flesh. But terrifying whispers persist of the Wendigo's ability to manipulate minds, even compelling individuals to descend into the abyss of cannibalism. Swift Runner, a Native American man from the winter of 1879, claimed a Wendigo's possession after committing the heinous act of murdering and consuming his own family. While reports of Wendigo sightings and cannibalistic horrors has waned since the 1920s, an unsettling echo resonates into more modern times. In fact, as recently as 2019, eerie reports surfaced from the Canadian woods. A man named Gino Mikis was out hunting grouse with his wife and grandson in the forests of northwestern Ontario. They were more than 50 kilometers from the closest town when they heard a series of eerie noises in the distance. Mr. Mikas said, quote, when it let out the first scream, I thought it was a moose, but my mind changed when it screamed again and again. A resident of Sioux Lookout, Mikas is an avid hunter and has grown accustomed to the sights and sounds of the region. Moose, black bears, and even wolves are relatively common sights in the backcountry. He says, quote, I've heard many different animals in the wild, but nothing like this. I grew up hunting with my grandfather for the first 12 years of my life. The howls initially came from the distance, but soon they appeared to move much closer, said Mikas. We could hear it moving. It sounded kind of heavy. But my wife... She got scared and picked up our grandson and started walking fast towards the vehicle. As the group retreated, Mikas pulled out his phone and began recording the howls as well as his grandson trying to mimic them. The video since posted to YouTube has received more than 4.1 million views. Some speculated that the sounds could come from a grizzly bear while the species has never been documented in the region, a recent study found that their range is dramatically larger than originally thought. Others speculated it could be a large wolf. Here's the audio from that video recording that can be found on YouTube. Let's see what you think. Oh my God. 
After these messages, we'll be right back. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Pretty good place. If you're a Martian. Or a vampire. You think you really know what's happening around here, don't you? Don't you? Anyone out there We're fighters for truth, justice, and the American way. Hey, this is Woody. And this is Tyler. And you're listening to That Would Be Rad. And now, back to our show. I mean, here's the thing. I watched a lot of National Geographic, uh, and if hopefully many of you remember that Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom uh, that would come on every week. I watched a lot of it. I also spent a fair amount of time in, well, the jungles of Indonesia when I lived there as a youngster, but also moving back to the States, a lot of time out in the woods camping with boy scouts and and that sort of thing i've never heard anything like that at all if i did and i was in their shoes i don't know that i would take the time to record it well at least maybe i would wait until i got closer to my car and roll down the window and hope that the audio would be captured on my phone's microphone i'm not sure i want to know what you think though so please make sure that you comment on our Instagram page at That Would Be Rad and let me know what your thoughts are about this video, the sounds, all that. Is it a hoax? Is it a grizzly bear? Is it a wolf? What do you think it is? Maybe it was the Wendigo. On to the next one. In the dusky embrace of the woods, a lone hunter might mistake the long black being for a distant figure in the fading twilight. But this would be a fatal misjudgment that ultimately will seal their fate. Entwined in Choctaw legend, this creature is also known as Nalosa Falaya. And this terrifying creature emerges with a tall, spindly humanoid form, a withered countenance, small eyes, and elongated pointed ears. It's sometimes said to slither like a snake, or even melt into the form of a shadow. This elusive being resides in the heart of the forest, often near a swamp, where it lies in wait for unsuspecting hunters to cross its malevolent path. It's patient 
and methodical. It shadows its prey, drifting along the trail with an eerie intent. The long black being is known to unleash chilling calls, mimicking the voices of the very humans it preys on. Or it might spring across the hunter's trajectory, a spectral force inducing a terror so profound that consciousness itself will hang by a thread. And then, with surgical precision, the long black being strikes. As the hunter succumbs to unconsciousness, sprawled defenseless upon the forest floor, the long black being descends, wielding a thorn or quill to pierce its victim. Upon awakening, the hunter may experience a deceptive sense of relief, unaware that a sinister enchantment now binds them. Initially, an unusual sense of grumpiness clouds their demeanor, but this unsettling mood intensifies into a violent compulsion. The long black being's malevolent influence propels the ensnared hunter toward a grim destiny, an irresistible urge to extinguish the lives of those closest to them. Not confined to personal vendettas, the long black being is whispered to bring death to the Choctaw tribe itself. In a haunting account, a Choctaw doctor recounted witnessing the long black being descending a hill through a churchyard. Shortly thereafter, a devastating flu swept through the Choctaw people, claiming countless lives. Yet within the malevolence, a paradox emerges. The long black being is said to possess a family of its own. Legend tells of the creature's offspring capable of ethereal feats. These children can supposedly disengage their internal organs and drift through the air. Found haunting the edges of marshes in an eerie dance of otherworldly existence. The legacy of the long black being, a specter lurking in the twilight depths, continues to cast its ominous shadow upon the tales of the Choctaw people. And reminds us all to be careful to go wandering in the woods on our own. Now this one kind of reminds me, well, quite a bit like the Wendigo a little bit, you know, these haunting calls from within the forest and the woods and stuff. And, you know, I have a lot of friends. My college roommate, Zach was a big hunter. And I know that a lot of hunters prefer, you know, sometimes they'll take maybe their kids or something, and maybe they'll even go with a friend uh, to kind of keep them company. But oftentimes they'll just kind of go out on their own. I mean, you're kind of controlling the, the variables that you can control when you do so, because then you're not worried about somebody else making a lot of noise and racket and scaring off uh, whatever game you are uh, trying to hunt. You know, I have heard stories of hunters being so tired and cold up in a deer stand and seeing something that 
spooked them, you know, or hearing something that spooked them. Oftentimes they kind of brush it away as, you know, well, I was just really tired or, you know, my mind was playing tricks on me and stuff. And I get that. But to think about either the long black being or the Wendigo making these eerie sounds that you can hear in the distance when you're all alone in the forest. Sure, it helps that you have a high-powered hunting rifle by your side or maybe even a handgun, but a being such as this, would those weapons truly protect you? Can they? I don't know. Anyway, let's get to the next one. Now, if you're not very familiar with North American, Native American history and stuff, it's important to note that a lot of the more sort of, or at least like tribal names that you might be aware of living on the other end of the world are actually sort of a combination of tribes kind of just coming together at some point in history. So, for example, this tale comes from the Iroquois. Now, the Iroquois are a confederacy of tribes. Their union forged so far back that actually most historians don't really know the exact time that it happened. But it bound together six tribes. The Cayuga, the Mohawk, the Oinida, and the Onondaga, the Seneca, and the Tuscarora peoples. They were united in resources, but they also shared this tapestry of stories. Within the shadows of Iroquois culture, a particularly chilling legend exists, and that is of the Cantant Sistantes, or the Flying Head Monster. These flying heads manifested as disembodied heads with fiery eyes and tangled, mangled hair, hovering through the air in relentless pursuit of human prey. Now, because the Iroquois had this combination of tribal customs and cultures that created a melting pot of legendary tales such as this one, there exist several variations of how these cannibalistic flying heads originate. One iteration suggests a ghastly genesis, a violent murder spawning vengeful entities. In this narrative, a victim's dismembered head, animated by a thirst for revenge, grew to monstrous proportions in its quest for retribution. Another thread weaves a tale of primordial monsters, driven by an insatiable craving for the taste for human flesh. Yet perhaps the most poignant rendition unfolds in the echoes of an ancient tribe near Sacandaga Lake in what is now New York. A tribe grappling with famine and winter's harsh embrace faced internal strife. There was a clash of ideals between the elders and the young men. The latter, desperate for a new beginning, met resistance from the elders who believed that their suffering was a divine curse, a consequence of violating the will of the master of life. In a brutal act of defiance, the young men, driven by hunger and desperation, committed matricide, decapitating the elders 
and casting their heads into the icy waters. Unbeknownst to the perpetrators, the severed heads were not consigned to oblivion. Within the icy waters, they began to stir with dark energy, merging into a colossal winged horror. Shrouded in black hair, a monstrous floating head with talons. Raining down vengeance upon the young warriors and the entire tribe, the Canonsistantes became the harbingers of doom. The legend of the Canonsistantes, bone-chilling in its narrative, carries a lingering hint of vulnerability within the Seneca tales. There was a widow who defied extinguishing the monstrous threat by feeding it a piece of burning coal. But the shadows cast by these giant flying heads, formidable as they may be, bear witness to the indomitable spirit of those who stand against the tides of darkness, etching their defiance into the very fabric of this bone-chilling Native American legend. And perhaps, maybe it's something that makes us hope for a lump of coal in our stocking next Christmas. Now, I don't think that's where the lump of coal legend comes from Christmas. In fact, I'm pretty sure we might have discussed that at some point. But if you are a fan of Dungeons and Dragons, you might find some similarity here with, uh, if you have a copy of your uh, monster manual available on page 134, this kind of bears a little resemblance to uh, the flame skull. Uh, In Dungeons and Dragons, it's got this blazing green flames and you know, you hear this mad echoing laughter, but it's a disembodied head uh, that's flaming. It's a little different though, because this undead uh, head, when it discovers trespassers, it blasts them with fiery rays from its eyes and dreadful spells. It basically was um, fashioned from the remains of dead wizards and all that. But anyhow, I do encourage you to look up some pictures of this thing because it is absolutely terrifying. Also, after I narrated this entire piece, I kind of started to wonder, is it Iroquois or is it Iroquois? I'm pretty sure the correct pronunciation is Iroquois, but just as usual, I'm going to butcher a lot of these names, and so my apologies. But looking up this this uh, <laughs> this head, this disembodied head that's flying around there seems to be a kind of a recurring theme here too which is boy all these entities and and creatures and and monsters and ghosts man they really like to eat humans which is kind of terrifying another recurring theme that happens in a lot of these stories kind of revolve around i don't know if you would call it the fear of water but almost they really do kind of serve as a cautionary tale um about youngsters getting a little too close to the water's edge. Now, the ones that we've already talked about and listened or and you've heard today could be used and could be arguably cautionary tales for people either going into the woods on their own or youngsters, you know, um, going out too late at night after dark uh, and that kind of thing. But this one specifically, well, you'll see. We'll return after these messages. 
This is Bryce Johnson from the Bigfoot Collectors Club, and you're listening to Tyler and Woody on That Would Be Rad, because that is rad. Beneath the unyielding expanse of thick ice and within the icy depths of the Arctic realm, a bone-chilling tale weaves through the frozen waters, one that casts shadows upon the indigenous lore of the Inuit people. Here, in the frigid domain stretching across Alaska, Canada, and Greenland, a horrifying entity lurks. An ancient sea monster known as the Kualipalik. In the haunting mythology of the Inuit, the Kualupalik stands as a formidable, half-human sea creature. Its elongated fingernails and green, slimy skin immediately evoke dread. Yet, what sets this mythical being apart is its insidious predilection of preying on unsuspecting Inuit children, drawing them into its icy lair beneath the frozen surface. The eerie melody of a distant humming resonating from the watery depths signals the approach of the Kualipalik. As it sings, sometimes tapping its fingers gently on the icy surface, it beckons the curious and the unwary to venture onto the treacherous ice. In the oral traditions passed down through generations, Inuit elders recount the bone-chilling saga of the flesh-eating Kualipalik, a monster that kidnaps children playing by the ice's edge and cradles them within an amautic, which is a parka with a built-in baby-carrying pouch worn by Inuit women. Transported to the creature's underwater lair, the abducted child is destined to remain captive forever. Although various renditions of the Native American myth do exist, the prevalent depiction of the Kualipalik leans toward the feminine, a haunting echo reminiscent of the maritime sirens that ensnared the hearts of the Western seafarers, of course, beckoning them to their own watery demise. The legend of the Kualipalik, with its spine-chilling narrative of these half-human sea creatures snatching children beneath the unforgiving ice, sends shivers down even the most resilient adult spine. Yet beneath the veneer of terror, scholars, of course, think that this myth emerged as a practical means of safeguarding Inuit children from the perilous clutches of the frozen landscape. Ultimately, I think this story becomes a testament to the timeless dance between the spectral allure of the sea and the cautionary wisdom whispered through the ages. A chilling reminder that beneath 
the serene ice. Ancient horrors may stir, waiting to claim those who dare to venture too close. If you ever find yourself close to the icy water's edge and you begin to hear a tapping or the buzzing of an ancient song, be careful not to get too close to the edge. Now, I don't know why, but this reminds me of that scene in Batman Begins where Christian Bell is training with Ra's al Ghul. He doesn't know it yet, but oops, spoiler alert. And there are sort of standing on top of that ice and they're sort of, you know, sparring back and forth. And I believe they're even using some, some swords, some katanas or something. But that cracking of ice and that tapping, not to mention all of the scary creatures that exist in the Inuit's sort of natural landscape. I mean, one of the scariest and most effective, if not most dangerous apex predators that exists to this day is the polar bear and their ability to track you down miles and miles away and then they can swim. I mean, anyway, no matter what, terrifying, right? Also not to mention just the barren landscape and nothing but white and ice that just goes on seemingly forever. How do you differentiate between safe and not safe? Of course, you know, hey, if this is a cautionary tale, good on them. You know, if I'm a, if I was an Inuit parent, boy, I'd make up all kinds of stories about why you should just stay in the igloo and chill out for a minute. You know what I mean? Man, chill out for a minute. Terrible, terrible pun. And I promise you, I didn't intend it. Okay. Last but not least, I got to tell you, this is also one that I encourage you to go look up because the pictures that exist or the depictions, I should say, in art of this entity or creature, whatever you want to call it is terrifying, the one that we're about to talk about. This is the legend of the Skutakamooch. Native American peoples have inhabited the land we now call Maine for over 12,000 years. Today, people from the four tribes, the Maliseet, Mi'kmaq, Passamaquoddy, and Penobscot, collectively are known as the Wabanaki, or people of the Dawnland. In the depths of the Wabanaki Nation's lore emerges a tale that would chill the very marrow of the soul. The haunting legend of the Skutakamooch, also known as the Skatagumutik. These are the malevolent specters that are born from the remnants of wicked sorcerers. As the whispers of this ghost story echo through the traditions of the Wabanaki tribe, the Skudokamooch rise from the grave, leaving a trail of death, consumption, and curses in their wake. Only fire, a primal force, holds the power to extinguish their unearthly existence. As the legend goes, there was an old and malevolent sorcerer 
His sinister spirit refusing the solace of death sent shockwaves throughout the living realm. Deep within the forest, his lifeless form, cradled by the gnarled limbs of an ancient tree, tales of ominous occurrences in the woods begin to weave this tapestry of fear. A Native American couple, oblivious to the ominous undercurrents, ventured into the forest, beginning a journey eastward. Unbeknownst to them, the air began to thicken with an unsettling chill, and shadows danced with foreboding in the moonlit branches. The wife began to sense that there was some sort of unworldly coldness, one that made her feel like she needed to flee now. But her proud husband dismissed her premonitions with a wave of his hand. We shouldn't be here, she implored, her gaze fixated on the dark shadows overhead. I think we better leave now. Ignored and rejected, the wife spent the night enveloped in fear, a silent witness to the mysterious gnawing sounds that pierced the stillness. But with the break of dawn, she turned to wake her slumbering husband, only to be met with a sight that froze the blood in her veins. There lay his lifeless form, his face and left side completely obliterated, his heart stolen from his body. Terrified and bereaved, the widow fleed. That is, until she encountered some members of the Wabanaki tribe. Almost hysterically, she began recounting this gruesome tale that had unfolded beneath these haunted branches of the forest. Suspicions lingered and accusing eyes and it turned toward her. But desperate for justice, they agreed to investigate this accursed tree. As they ventured into the woods, and they found the knotted tree. And there, amidst the twisted roots, they unearthed the lifeless body of the deceased husband. A chilling realization takes hold. A sorcerer, a skudakmooch, hungered for the living. In a desperate bid to banish the malevolent spirit, they set the corpse ablaze, flames consuming the remains with an intensity matching the inferno within. As the pyre crackles and roars, a crescendo of power and dread begins to fill the air. The flames dance with an ethereal fury, challenging the spectral force from within. Whether the fire became the exorcism that quells the Skutakamuch's wrath remains shrouded in the ancient tapestry of the Wabanaki's haunted history. The forest stands silent, bearing witness to the echoes of a battle between the living 
and the vengeful dead. A tale woven to the very fabric of an unyielding, primal struggle for survival against the encroaching darkness. So a word of caution, you explorers, you wanderers, students of the unknown. If you find yourself in the wilderness all alone and you hear something in the distance or a shadowy figure seems to be lurking in the shadows or perhaps even something as seemingly innocent as an old knotted tree be careful where you venture you never know what lays out there waiting for you well folks that does it for all of my scary native american tales i hope you enjoyed them as much as i did just a little bit of a spin, uh, something that you can bring up at your Thanksgiving feast table. Hey, have you ever heard of the Skinnamarinkadink or, you know, okay. I guess I should have said Scootacamooch. And by the way, thank you very much for being patient through all of my pronunciation. Hopefully I didn't mess them up too bad, but I just love that there are these legends that exist out there not just in North America, and a shout out to all of our global listeners internationally who may or may not, and most likely have not heard of most of these, apart from maybe the Wendigo. I'm sure that there are scary stories in your part of the world. Folklore that was passed down from elder to the youth for many, many traditions for thousands of years. Those are the kind of things that we love here at That Would Be Rad. It's the stuff that fuels our fire. Yeah, we like talking about music in the 80s and random TV shows that we love, but we also love the mysteries that exist that we've never heard of or that we've forgotten. And if you're unfamiliar with the Thanksgiving holiday because you live elsewhere in the world, let me just say that the way that we celebrate it is we take it as a time in our lives to gather together with friends and family to feast on a bunch of good food, whether or not it's healthy for you. That's, you know, who knows? But the point is, we're with the people that we care about, and we take the time to let each other know what it is that we're thankful for. So in that spirit, let me just say that, and I think I can speak on behalf of Tyler as well, both of us here at That Would Be Rad are extremely grateful and thankful for you, the listener. We love that you take the time out of your week to listen to us week after week. And we really, it just means the world to us. So thank you so much. We're so thankful for you. We hope you have a safe and happy Thanksgiving holiday. And if you don't celebrate Thanksgiving wherever it is that you are in the world, hey, take this week and just give it a try. By that, I mean, reach out to somebody that you care about or, or someone that maybe you haven't told enough lately that you're thankful for them. Anyway, I think that would be uh, something cool that you could do. And that's a great way uh, to be rad. So if you want to kind of interact with us more, uh, especially on like a you know personal level, 
please visit our Instagram. That's really where we're the most active, whether it's, you know, through direct messages or even just comments on our posts. We tend to share more than just the quote unquote cover art for our episodes throughout the week. And also it's a good place for you to kind of see the behind the scenes stuff of what's going on in our lives. You know, things that we're working on outside of the podcast, like different artistic projects and and things like that. But again, like I said, it's a great way for you to kind of talk with us um, and and kind of, you know, tell us about things that you're interested in and, and see again, some of the things that we are. So you can find us there at that would be rad on Instagram. Um, If you have a story of your own, there are several ways that you can share that with us. You know, of course, you could email us at thatwouldberadpod at gmail.com, or you could go to our website, thatwouldberadpodcast.com, where you can leave a voice message telling your own story with your own voice. And then with your permission, we can even put that on an episode, which is super rad. We are absolutely obsessed with stories from all around the world and even within our own country. I mean, there's folklore and traditions that we might not know about being down here in the Southeast. So please, I hope that you feel comfortable enough to share your story with us, no matter how big, no matter how small. It's amazing to us. And lastly, there are three major ways that you can support our show. Number one, listen to our episodes, comment like, and of course, leave us a five-star review. The only thing that'll cost is your time, which we value 100%. If you want to support us in a more monetary way, you can do so by joining our Patreon over at www.patreon.com slash that would be rad. We call our Patreon the rabbit trail because we end up kind of going deeper into subjects as well as just being incredibly more random uh, with our conversations. You know, we typically record those late at night after all the kids are in bed and, you know, our wives are watching whatever TV show they want to watch. And then we just jump back in and dive deep down some random rabbit trail that we end up going on. So that would be a huge support. And we thank you so much uh, to our current patrons that support us every single month. So without further ado, I hope you have a wonderful holiday. Please be safe. We love you. We appreciate you. And as always, be rad. That's the way it
clouds in a time where I just needed some sunshine You were already dead before you became a ghost You always said our future would be a parade of flowers But now I'm 